Welcome to Hearts and Minds. My name is Catherine McMahon and I'm joined here with Maura Cassidy. Today we're going to talk about how to align your values with your relationships. Yes, so um, yeah, basically, so it's a very big topic and um, so I hope we do it justice. Um, So I suppose when you talk about your values, what are we talking about? Well, we all know they're an essential part of life, at least in theory. Um, But I suppose I would like to consider them as your moral compass or your North Star. So um, we don't know what we live for. If we don't know what we live for, rather, well, we don't know where we're going. And the truth is we can't really live off other people's values or even the ideal of a value. Um, you know, sometimes we can think, you know, could we, we can be inspired by people in our life, whether it's family members or friends or role models. But the, really, the rubber hits the road when we actually take them on ourselves. Um, I think it was the philosopher Goeth who said something like that, that if you have what you've received from maybe your ancestors or your relatives, you, you have to discover it, rediscover it for yourself. Otherwise, you don't really possess it fully or truly. So making our values our own is really our life's journey. And, um, and for us in the Catholic tradition, that's a journey to heaven. Um, and I think that's very good for us to think of that because sometimes we think values, we get disconcerted when they seem to take so long to acquire. Um, and, and I suppose when you're saying values, you might be thinking, well, virtues, of course, virtues. And um, that's, that's very much part of what values look like. But it's also, again, in the Catholic tradition, it's under the umbrella of the biggest virtue of all, which is love, which is charity. So it's not just striving to acquire, you know, to be, you know, virtues in their own right, but in the context of a relationship, in a relationship with Christ or in relationship with others. Are your values mainly kind of how you were brought up? That's really... I mean, obviously, if if the values in which your parents gave you are not really what you're up for you'd obviously change them over time but in the main that's pretty much how people roll with their life is they inherit the values through what their parents give them I think you do inherit that's where your starting point your starting blocks are but I suppose you do you know a lot of people sometimes the values you have as a child aren't the values you choose as an adult and I think there's a point there's a moment in your life um, St. Thomas Aquinas said it, it's like Cupid's arrow that it's almost like God gives a sense of his presence and there's a sense a moment in which you want to discover your values for yourself um, and I think that's sometimes that means that we'll leave certain values behind because we don't consider them as values and we look for other values which mm-hmm. you know might appeal to, the, to, to, to us more you know I think Mark Twain said the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you discover why so I think you know, we all, I know friends who'd say, well, I was brought up this way, but I realized that wasn't such a good plan, you know, and I changed. You know, I was I was brought up maybe a little bit selfish or to think about myself too much. My parents did out of the best will in the world, but I really learned quickly that I had to mm-hmm. reach out to other okay. people more or whatever. So mm-hmm. obviously a lot of the values we're brought up with as a child can be fantastic. But I think you, we have to choose the values intentionally. And, um, and that's what I think is about owning your values in that sense, is that it's important that you know, that we, we, the sort of, we can, we can, yeah, there's that sense of, I'm not sure I'm not very happy with the way I'm living my life. And that's a good moment to think, well, are my values really the values I want to own? And owning values really is not just wearing them and changing them as, as the weather, you know, as, as, as the season changes. It's a lot to do with um, digesting the values and making them flesh of our flesh. And that's, if we, if we make our values our own like that, then we can align our relationships to them. Otherwise they're too superficial. 
you know, so for example, if you're thinking about a value like, you know, I want to be more generous, you mm-hmm. know, financially more generous. Well, if you're somebody who's always tight, never pays for this, the round of drinks at work or um, maybe doesn't give to a charity that's, a, you know, a need, but always ma- manage to keep, you know, keep money for your own little luxuries. Well, that might be a good point to go, well, that's not really aligning, much alignment going on there in my relationships because people who are nearest to dearest to me are people in this world okay. who are I, when, when I saw the title, I thought it was more to do with, you know, the typical thing where, you know, you have your values and everything like that, but then you encounter people who become close to you that really don't have the same values as you, and then you just sway. You just, you know, you just water down your values to adapt to the people you love. Oh yeah, that's that's that, that's that'll come to that next. All right, <laughs> but yeah, that's critical. Yeah, okay. but I suppose sometimes what happens is we get very disconcerted with ourselves. We think, God, I'm not managing, particularly in a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a romantic relationship, and you suddenly realise that your values that you thought you owned aren't really are actually being eroded and you're yeah, eroded just, over time over yeah. time and mm-hmm. of course that can be a big shock and you think well maybe I never had those values and maybe I'm just not strong enough and we begin to question and I think instead of thinking moments of doubt or moments of insecurity or challenge or bad because I feel them and I feel uncomfortable and I feel weak which is typically what we can tend to feel I think those are moments where of discovery you know instead of flatline there are moments where I realize that I can't do this alone and that's in terms of our Catholic tradition. And that's why it's so important. We don't just see our virtues, or our values in the stoical tradition, which is grin and bear it, stick at it. You try hardest, you'll acquire them and you'll hold them forever. I don't really think that's true because we're human beings. So we have the, we have the um, birthmark of original sin, which means we have that tendency to find, not just find the easy way out, but sometimes to be mean and evil. So we do need God's help. And the point is, I think the really important thing in values is to realize that who we are and who we belong to is God. And Christ redeemed us because mm. we needed redeeming. In other words, Christ came to save us because we need to be saved. So yeah, and in it, those moments, it's moments we realize our weakness and we need to grab onto God because we are dependent human creatures. You know, I also think sometimes you have to discover a virtue by experiencing the opposite. It's not oh, that you great. want to congratulate yourself on experiencing the opposite, but... In the same way as when, you know, let's say you kind of say, yeah, of course I'm courageous or whatever like that. And then all of a sudden you run a mile when you encounter something that you find particularly fearful. But it's those kind of moments where you kind of go, well, this is where I want to identify myself with this value because I appreciate it and I want it for myself. But I have to experience the opposite sometimes in order to kind of um, make that decision. Yeah. Because if everything was rosy, I mean, I'd never actually, you know, well, precisely. hammer down on it in any shape or, yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's the, probably the most important thing is that virtue is only experienced in the moment of temptation or the moment of doubt, the moment of insecurity. If you're never in those moments, you're probably backing away from them all the time. Mm. And in fact, you're not actually serious about having values. Embedding values mean you're going to feel the pain of the discomfort of going, I don't have this. Mm-hmm. And that you're willing to step into that pain all the time is actually very courageous. Because as I think C.S. Lewis said, courage is a biting point of every virtue. So it's very easy to kind of go, yeah, no, peace, love, justice, you know, kind of, you know, Mother Earth approach or Miss World. Yeah, that's great. But everybody knows that's skin deep. It's not real. Real virtue is like it's gritty, it's dirty and it's sweaty. It's not pretty. 
And certainly yeah. not pretty to be trying to acquire it, definitely not. So that's if beautiful. You, you know, that's not very beautiful, but it's true. And I do think that point you make there is, unless you grasp it, you know, sometimes you really have to drill into, well, why would I want this? And why is this virtue so important? Like, it has to be really compelling. So in those moments of when you're going, oh, I'm so impatient, I'm so impatient, you know. Personally, I know I've probably said this before on some of our podcasts, but um, I was really trying to be patient at one point in my life. I'm always trying to be patient. But... um. I remember seeing Evan the Almighty and Morgan Freeman as God and he's talking to Evan's wife and she's going, you know, God, I just so much want to be patient. He makes precisely that point. He mm-hmm. makes the point that only you'll only discover how to be patient precisely when you're feeling like losing the cool and really blowing it and being really un- impatient. So I think that's the point, you know, but I think the critical thing there is really to make sense and that something needs to be compelling to us that we want it so much. You know, we do, we're human beings, so we are rational animals, which means we need to understand something so we can love it. And that does take time and effort. And I mean, stepping into that space all the time going, why am I finding this challenging? What are the circumstances? How do I, you know, you might say digest this? Why is, you know, et cetera. So if we can grasp things intellectually, you know, I don't understand them, then our, our emotions and will can will tend to follow, you know, our will, our, our intellect needs to cra- grasp the truth of something. This is a beautiful thing. This is something I really, really want. Our will will always go where the intellect drives it for the good. And then the emotions will have to be carried, you know, we'll, we don't, I suppose, give ourselves permission to take the time to break it down. And, you know, G.K. Chesterton said something like that. He said that, look, you know, to become a Catholic, it's, 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 it's not to leave off thinking. We have to learn how to think. And um, and if I think if we unpack the values and virtues for ourselves, we become so much better at empowering others with them, you know, um, because yeah, we've made sense of them ourselves. If you haven't intellectualized it, then you're banking solely on emotion and on will, either one. Yeah, and, exactly. And in many ways, in, in that sort of sense, if you, if you are encountering relationships that pull you against the values that you want, maybe it is that sense of, Maybe I'm just banking this solely on emotion or a good intention as opposed to really understanding why why I want these values in my life. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, the why is up to first. If you know the why, you can do the what and the how. Um, absolutely. And I suppose in our world, the emotions are, are so strong. You know, if it doesn't really feel right for you, then don't do it. And well, most of life is about, do you know what, I think this is the right thing to do. So I want to do it. So I will bring emotions behind but that's the real education in itself of ourselves I think as well um, to have a plan you know because otherwise um, I suppose you know the early Christians you know St. Peter told them be able to account for the hope that's in you and I think that's really helpful is that we don't necessarily we aren't necessarily able to to account for our hope. And if we, as I said, if we do try to embed these values ourselves, well, then we become much better at accounting, giving other people um, the same passion we have for for this kind of living. Um, and that's where we have to make faith formation a priority. You know, um, maybe we already have a plan for our faith formation. It works for us and that's great. Uh, if we don't, um, it's probably a bit hit and miss. We probably need to look at a way that we can do this. And that's where we've talked about this before, but formation, which I mean, by that I mean the content of our faith, the application of my faith. So if I know something, that's great. You know, I sit down, I read it, I learn it, I get a class, a seminar on it. And then I try to apply it, you know, I try to apply it through 
my prayer, through, you know, uh, celebrating the sacraments, you know, because I get the strength, the this, this, this spiritual strength to actually win tr- through. And the guidance, because without guidance, you know, we can be very adrift in reality. So we do need guidance, you mm. know, from people who are equipped to guide us, whether it's a priest or a layperson who has that experience. Um, and I think this also reminds us that our faith isn't a list of do's and don'ts. It's something very human and it's something very divine. And um, and I think sometimes when we find that some aspect of the faith doesn't make sense to me, you know, somebody was telling me recently that um, she's had a great Bible study class. She was really, really great. But she said the challenge with it is, is that it's so beautiful and so inspiring. But then afterwards, I real life happens, mm-hmm. you know, and I think... That's such that's such a human experience for many people. So I do think you need to find um, faith formation that really works for you in whatever your busy life looks like. Yeah, you have to be able to connect the dots between exactly. your life and your spiritual formation. Yeah, um, yeah because yeah. otherwise it's 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 beautiful in its moment. In it's a bit like listening to spiritual music. It's fantastic when you're listening to it and it's great and everything like that. But then then I don't know, like you send off a really ratty email to somebody and then you kind of get really, really depressed about yourself. And then you kind of go, well, you know, what's the difference? Like, you know, I could be raising my hands to a spiritual song, but then my life is completely different, you know? Yeah, I guess. (laughs) I guess so. We all have those experiences in different ways. Um, Yeah, I think so. Um, I think you need to find your way to heaven, which accommodates you and your busy life, your busy work and... You know, um, I think as well, I, I I don't know who said this, but it certainly, I found it so helpful. Um, I think it was a saint, but that sounds very dodgy as I'm saying it. But anyway, it was some saint who said, look, you know, it's harder when you're up against it, you know, to live virtue. And I've, I found that so encouraging because sometimes you think, you know, I had an aunt who's a nun and she always inspired me, you know, she was always amazing. But I also know she had it really hard in other ways. But sometimes when you see people who maybe live more of a religious vocation, you think, God, they're so holy. And they probably are very holy and they are very holy. But at the same time, sometimes when you're in the thick of work and family life and kids and all that, it all seems to come apart. And you just say, what's the point? And I think we need to ask for God's grace. But how inspiring must be for God? God is going, that's real pressure. That's mm-hmm. virtue under pressure. And and I think that's, you know, in those moments we have to really go back to our work when we're tired and we're so inspired and maybe very unmotivated by ourselves, going work is my altar and that's it. I'm passionate about the world I live in. And, you know, my faith is a faith of second chances. And we're often closer to God when we fall than when we're, everything's rosy and dandy. And and that's, we need to be very, very, very human, very compassionate there. God's very compassionate with us. Um, and I think, Bringing ideas down to earth, you know, I know we've talked about this before, but obviously the inspiration behind this podcast is Opus Day, and it's basically practical Catholicism for busy people. Um, and it is that emphasis of knowing and understanding your Catholic faith, you mm-hmm. know, and applying it. What does that mean for me? And and I think it's lovely to have that sense of, that's exciting, you know, that's actually faith in action. What does it mean to me? You know, and, and you know, we all have to do that. So I think that's helpful that God expects us to do that. Um, you need to, I suppose, oftentimes we realize that, um, you know, we need to change something about the way we're doing things. And that's where I think spiritual guidance is really important for us, you know, because sometimes we can think that, um, 
you know, that I have to separate myself from the world to actually do this. And maybe that's not what God is asking of us. And I do think it's important that you seek that spiritual guidance out because mm. otherwise we can become a bit unstuck from what God maybe's plan for us is. Discover the why you're here, as Mark Twain yeah, said. Yeah, and it's not only this kind of thing of separating yourself from the world in, in the kind of the, the bigger sense, but just in the smaller sense, I think that sometimes happens. You know, you kind of avoid, you avoid the things that you find more demanding um, because you don't want to ruffle your feathers. It sounds a bit demeaning saying like that, but kind of like you, you don't want to, to, to challenge yourself too much because you think it may be too much for yourself. Mm. But it, when you're when you're talking about it in spiritual action, you're able to externalize some of the challenges you have. Having that sounding board of being able to say, look, actually, that, that would be a good thing that you do that. Then you kind of go, okay, you, you also have the grace to actually do it. Mm. So I have to say, it's funny, um, you know, it's like when you go to a physiotherapist or a doctor or whatever, you know sometimes what you need to do, mm. you know, when you're, you know, you've, I don't know, you've pulled a muscle or whatever. And in a sense, you know what you need to do, but sometimes you need to go to a physio to say, and they say it to you and they say, you need to do these exercises. And you go, yeah. And then you pay mm. the money for something that you already knew in the first place. But sometimes we, we have to do that mm. in order to be able to nail down the things that we need to do. Mm. And I think spiritual direction is kind of like that sometimes. Mm. Thankfully, it's free. Mm. So you don't have to. But to, to be able to say, yeah, have, mm. have that person to firm you up in the decisions that you in your heart of hearts know that you have to do. Mm. Um, no, that's so true. And, and yeah. have that person accompany you and mm. pray for you. It's, it's huge. Yeah. Well, it's like I remember talking to somebody who was involved in Weight Watchers and I said, so do people come and weigh in and then run out the door? I said, you know, and she said, well, to be honest, the ones who succeed, you know, really, you know, lose the weight are the ones who stay for the motivational talk and All have right. the chats with you. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. It makes complete sense. But that's what we're saying is that yeah. we kind of sometimes know ourselves, but we need somebody else to confirm it and to encourage us mm-hmm. and get the grace. You know, there's mm. a big grace with spiritual guidance as well. Um, I think as well, um, so I think, I suppose the spiritual guidance is clear, you know, the content as well, to look for classes or books or seminars, you know, to get that content, you know, because we're busy people. And I think... It's hard to kind of prepare the class, attend the class and evaluate yourself. I think you need to be, you need to let somebody else do that for you. Otherwise, we end up as hit and miss and we shop around, basically. We look for the kind of spiritual music that gives me a lift as opposed to the real solid meat and potatoes that are actually going to give the spiritual mm-hmm. protein I need. Um, I think as well to be practical about the time and place you need for your faith and formation. You know, if you're a busy mom, you know, getting up at 4 a.m. is probably not such a good good idea, given that you're probably pretty sleep deprived already. Um, you know, when the kids are at school or maybe a little bit earlier or whatever it is. But um, what would they be getting up at 4 p.m.? Well, I, I remember a good friend of mine telling me she got up to the chapter to Divine Mercy at 4 a.m. And oh, I was right, going, are yeah, you yeah. for real? You know, I don't think God wants you to do that. It's a beautiful chapter, but at 4 a.m. in the morning, mm-hmm. you're not going to be much good to your husband and your kids. Oh, yeah. You know, you could fall asleep at the wheel, to put it mildly. You know what I mean? So it's very dramatic. But it's just like, you know, it's kind of making holy the ordinary things. Mm-hmm. And I think also a great discovery for me, certainly, I don't think I fully discovered it, but, and I know it's part of the Catholic tradition, but it's something I learned hugely from Opus Dei was the whole idea of just sanctify the ordinary. Mm. You know, you can get into the car and drive and, you know, drive well, and that's sanctifying the ordinary, not multi, well, you wouldn't be multitasking anyway in the car, hopefully. But, you know, doing what you do well and doing it consistently and showing up 
Whereas before, you know, I would have maybe poo-pooed those kind of things, thinking, well, everybody does that. You know, it's really what I'm feeling in the moment and having a spiritual encounter, not at all. Most of the time, what we do is very just like that. And that actually, God blesses it, and it's prayer uh, and virtue and lots of other things. So I think regular inputs is important. Uh, and then connecting with God, you know, values are based on a relationship. That's why our faith isn't a philosophy. It's not just a nice idea. It's actually a relationship. And we're beloved and we're saved. And we need good books. We need good and regular information. And we need prayer in the sacraments, mm-hmm. you know, and... You know, to be touched by God, we do. We And I think to be really convinced as well and all of that, that God is beside each and every one of us at every step. You know, we think sometimes that it's we're down here and God is up there. You know, it's a bit this dualist idea, you know, and that basically, you know, we're going to journey along, you know, fight our way through it. And at the end, we're going to say, hey, God, I got her and he's the prize. Whereas it's so not that way. It's, you know, the point about it is, is that, you know, we're journeying with God. So we could be at A, he's at A. We could be at C, wherever we're in the journey, he's there and he's happy. He meets us wherever we are. He's not asking us to, if you come to B or if you come to Z, I'll be there, but you need to get there now. Good girl, Mm -hmm. stay on the road where he's journeying with us. A bit Mm -hmm. like the apostles at Emmaus. You know, they were really depressed. They were kind of like this Jesus guy. You know, he's not cracked up. He's dead. Where are we going now? And he walked with them in their despair. So Jesus walks with us in all the moments of our life. And that's what he wants to be. You know, mm-hmm. his his desire is to be with us. His delight is to be with us. And sometimes we're so, you know, no, no, until in control. I don't make mistakes. Once I've got there and I'm happy with myself, you can step in. You know, we're just, that's really the wrong end of the stick completely. Mm-hmm. The other aspect I think is important Maybe more from, I don't know if this is an Irish thing, but when we think about, say, values, we sometimes think the morality stick comes up. Oh, morality, oops. And I think morality is a bit like the mom protector. And I think um, I once heard morality described a bit like, you know, a little, 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 a little toddler learning how to walk. And mummy or daddy is there with their arms outstretched, but not holding them because the child has to learn to walk for themselves. Um but at the same time, they're there. And that's what morality is. It's God saying, look, if you touch that, this is going to happen. So it's not a good plan. But the child can still grab onto the sharp implements. He can, he can do that. Mm-hmm. And God will let us make mistakes that are not good for us. But morality is there to say, look, you know, as a, as a parent, I want you to be safe. So I'm going to warn you. But do what, do what you do what you do what you think you need to mm-hmm. do. So I think that's really helpful. Instead of thinking as God's out there making life miserable, because he's not. Um, we're rebellious. We don't get certain things about our faith. Um, sometimes we need to experience things personally to actually realize not such a good plan. You know, um, you know. I think that's all part of the human sort of experience. Mm. Um, it's also understanding, I suppose, the the idea of morality of in in line of freedom. Like, it, it, if you understand freedom in its deeper sense, then you understand morality. You know, and I think the sense of understanding freedom, not the idea of freedom from, but freedom for. And freedom for what? Like, what are we aiming for? As opposed to freedom from whatever we, like the chackles of of morality, Mm. you know. Mm. Um, But like, yeah, just Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, basically, (laughs) you know, of kind of like poor old Adam and Eve. Like they, they, I mean, obviously they they had perfect intelligence, but at some stage, I don't know. Anyway, this is kind of (laughs) theologically dubious, but, you know, um, this idea of maybe they they thought freedom from, you know, Mm. poor old Eve, you know. Mm. Um, 
but but that kind of sense of yeah, I I want my freedom for something greater mm. than myself, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's and that's helpful we, in we understanding morality. Yeah, that, that's a, I think that's a really critical point. In fact, if we don't look to see have vision, then it's very hard to feel motivated. Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's a really really nice. Sorry, it's laden with quotes, but there's some I came across during the week, and I just think this is lovely. I'm sure many of you've heard it, but Pope Benedict, you know, his point about that if you let Christ into your life, you lose nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, you know, mm. of what makes you life free, beautiful, and great. Mm. And I just think that's even the way he goes, nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. And I think one of the greatest lies of life is to think that you're somehow God is taking away your fun. He's not. He's going look, look what's look what's out there. Mm. And there could be so much better and so much more beautiful if you if you just believe and believe in yourself, mm. believe in the beauty of the person that I've made you to be. Mm. So, um, and that's transformational, you know. And that does come from relationship with Christ. You know, it does come from relationship with Him. And I think it, faith has to drive that. You know, God, I believe that you're there, God. I know, you know, it's we kind of have to step back and remind ourselves of the people around us and why they're there, you know, the relationships in our faith. Um, and mm. the only way we're going to believe that is by actually experiencing it ourselves. And then that idea of like, if you do have relationships that kind of pull you away from your values, to understand it as not a kind of a, I have to step away from these relationships. And I think that's kind of, well, it depends if there's certain relationships that are really not really helping, maybe yes. Um, but that you'd have to drill that out in your own spiritual direction. But if there are, you know, your own relationships that are, yeah, challenging those values, they're great opportunities to, to you know, renew your values to yourself, you know, mm-hmm. interiorly, and then keep on going and knowing that, those kind of frictions are the are the way of growing in mm. your values, not a way of weakening. Mm. Um, mm. If if you do readdress it once mm. in a while and mm. help yourself mm. to kind of remind yourself mm. of, of why you have the values you have. Yeah. yeah, they strengthen it. In fact, if you know how to go into the fray, and I yeah, I think um, I think yeah, I think our relationships with other people who may not share our values sh- shouldn't be a reason to step back. A little bit like you were saying earlier about virtue. Virtue is not about st- if we find virtue hard or we find values hard, we we step away from anything that involves friction, and friction leads to energy. And I think we need to be able to step into those relationships, but we need to also be bulked up in the sense of grace and content, and it can only lead us to strengthening. You know, mm-hmm. it's like growing a muscle. You know, our relationships they need to strengthen because we're growing in our faith. Mm-hmm. So if we don't, if we don't have any sort of conflict, it's very hard to grow. In fact, it's very yeah. hard to grow because it means we're just we're creating a safe space for ourselves, mm-hmm. and that means we just it's Teletubby land. It's not really real. Bubble wrap. Yeah, bubble wrap. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose just the last thing I suppose just to say on this, which I think is, again, it could possibly sound. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how it would sound, but I suppose conversions are moments of grace. And, grace, and sometimes we think of conversions are like, oh my God, that's for people who have these big major conversions and I'm not like that, just little old me. Whereas they're encounters with God. And I think not to deny ourselves those graces, you know, um, it changes the way we see things. And it's funny, I was, I've been chatting with different people lately and it's funny how these things happen. People say, I know that was a big change in my life. There was a, a, a before and after. And you know, they're very practical, you know, very lay, very real people, you know. And I just, I'm always very struck by how people describe conversion sometimes, that it's outside our human experience, it's God's way of changing things. 
and it's outside of time. So I think sometimes don't deny ourselves those graces of conversion, you know, because there are little things, something can, an idea can crystallize for you, uh, where you can help a friend can crystallize for you. The fact that you need to keep trying at something and not give up, that's a moment of grace. And, and, and that really comes from our relationship with Christ and knowing how to get, you know, tanked up with the graces that come from touching God in the sacraments and prayer. Brilliant. Okay, I think we'll wrap up now. Um, so thank you very much and uh, hopefully um, we'll see you again very soon as in see as in not really see but yeah, talk and, and have conversation with you. Okay, thank you. <laughs>